0: There's a story of some thieves that made the news. Thieves that went into a department store and instead of stealing things, they just changed the tags on some important items. They took a $6,000 diamond ring and the tag on the diamond ring and they exchanged it with an imitation diamond that was $99.99. They just switched the tags. And then they took a real painting an original painting for $3,000 and they went down the aisle and found the imitation painting, same painting, and switched it for the forty-nine ninety-nine tag. I don't know if these thieves had some issue with the store. I don't know if they were just pranking the store. I don't know if they wanted to see an experiment of if people could figure out what was imitation and what was real. But this news story made the news and we don't know, it's interesting, because the people came in, unknowingly at best, but they came in and they bought the $6,000 diamond that was a $99 diamond, and they bought the $3,000 painting that was really an imitation painting. They couldn't discern what was cheap imitation from what was truly worth something. And you know, when I think about that story, I think about my own life, and I think about Uh, unknowingly or even sometimes knowingly that I choose the worthless thing over the things that God says are truly most valuable ever been there maybe it's just me how often do we chase after the flashy things in life that won't last in God's grand view and we aren't really valuable at all and we exchange that for what is valuable what is lasting what is actually worth something eternally. I want to show you a parable this morning. A parable where people had switched the tags, but they'd knowingly done it. It spent a lot of capital on greedily pursuing what was worthless, and in the end, little on what was worth something. Turn with me to Luke chapter. 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If you, ha- you need a Bible, there's one next to you. It's page 871 on a Bible next to you. Words will be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, that's the best way. So grab your Bible. It's the parable of the rich fool. Parable of the rich fool. And what is really in view in this parable is the topic of greed. The topic of greed. When you think about greed, When you think about the idea of covetousness, greed really has two sides. It's one coin with two sides. On one side is a covetousness of things that we don't have that someone else has been given by God. That's one side of greed, wanting what we don't have that someone else has. And then the other side of greed is taking God's good gifts that he has given us and hoarding them. And saying, nobody else can have any of what God has given me. And not being generous with what God has given us. There's a major warning about greed in this parable. Remember parables? They're true to life stories that Jesus gives his listeners to both conceal and reveal truth. And they often have quite the punch for the audience that is listening. I want to show you this morning what greed elevates. I want to show you how greed blinds us, and I want to show you what greed actually in the end delivers. You might not like it. Verse, what God does deliver for us. Luke 12, 13 through 21, page 871. Let me read it. The rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, a rabbi, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Kind of bold. But he said to him, man, who made you a judge, and arbitrator over you? Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, the crowd, Jesus, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life that does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable, the crowd. The land of the rich man produces plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have now nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. So he's talked to himself and now he's listening to himself. Bad idea. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God. But God said to him, fool, mindless, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want to look at the first few verses there, verses 13 through 15, about the man who comes to Jesus in the crowd. There's thousands, the text says before, there's thousands of people There, and this man blurts out, tell my brother to give me the inheritance. Pretty bold guy, this guy in the crowd. It's interesting in that day because the law is pretty clear about how inheritance works. We saw it in the prodigal sons, right? How inheritance works. The older brother gets a double portion, and the younger brother gets the other portion. The third, if there's two, I don't know how many siblings are in this family, But it's just the way the law works if there are conflicts in that what often would happen is that people like this brother would often go to a rabbi or a teacher and ask them but this guy is bold enough to do it in front of thousands of people careful with jesus maybe the guy's never been around jesus before but oftentimes jesus has some interesting things to say and so this person is trying to use jesus's position Of authority to get something he wants the motives this guy has are not to arbitrate fairly can you catch that but to go Jesus I want you to tell my brother to give me the inheritance and likely what's going on is it's his older brother and his older brother has the double portion he's likely the younger brother but he thinks this is fair that he would get at least half look at Jesus his response in verse 14 I'm not the arbitrator, I'm not the judge. Go work this out with your brother. And then, what does Jesus do? He doesn't just turn to the guy, he then turns to the crowd and gives what? He gives a warning about covetousness. A warning is one's life just focused on his possessions? You see, possessions, in Jesus' mind, won't give you what they think it will give you. Here's your first thought today. Greedy motives elevate possessions over people. Greedy motives elevate possessions over people. It makes secondary things primary things in our hearts. It's interesting when you look at this. What do you think the crowd's view of the man is after Jesus says this? He's greedy. What do you think the man in the crowd, we're not told, but if you were the guy in the crowd and you did that, what would you be doing? I'd be sneaking off. (laughs) I'd be getting out of Dodge. I'd be embarrassed of what Jesus has revealed in my heart. Let me ask you a question, though. Let's say you're that brother and you get what you want, what you think you deserve how's that gonna go with your relationship with your brother do you think this brother is really thinking about his relationship with his older brother or is he only thinking about possessions proverbs 28 25 says the greedy man stirs up strife one trust in the Lord will be the one who trust in the Lord will be enriched you think there's any strife that's gonna happen for this brother and his other brother I think so You ever have any inheritance issues in your family when someone dies? Wow. Greedy motives elevate stuff over people, and in this case, it's family. I've often talked about the ranch that I grew up on. I've often talked about that here, used it as a wealth or storehouse of uh, illustrations. The life of our church, much to your chagrin. It's interesting, as my mom and dad get older, and I look around our little community in Llano, Texas, and family after family who is passing land down to their children, like my age, there's family strife. And when you're in a little place, everybody knows about it. And so my mom, who is getting older, her one wish before she dies. This is what she says to me all and my brothers all the time. There's three of us. I want to know that you guys have worked this land deal out before I die. This land's been in our family for over 100 years. It's passed down from my grandfather who was the oldest of 12 to my mother. And then it's already been in a trust with me and my three brothers, two other brothers. So there's three of us and there are two parcels of land and we're trying right now to figure out how to do this I have a great relationship with my other brothers they know the Lord but I can tell you this there's words that pop into my head in the middle of this that pop into my brother's head in the middle of this and we've shared and we prayed together over it there's two words that run through our head and they're dangerous words They're words that bring brokenness to friendships and family and marriage and job and church and business and sports teams. The word is, I deserve. I deserve. I deserve more inheritance. I deserve more land. I deserve more pay. I deserve more respect. Think of this. I deserve better. I deserve better. My fair share. I deserve. Can I tell you, I deserve never ends well. Have those words ever crept into your mind and your heart? Perhaps those words are whispering in your ear right now about something in your life. I deserve. Usually, I deserve leaves a big wake of trouble, often relational trouble. Where in your life are those words whispering in your ears? Here's the truth the truth of the gospel is this I don't deserve. I don't deserve. I haven't earned. Actually, Another truth of the gospel is this. I I do deserve. You know what I deserve? Death. The penalty of my sin, the wages of my sin, what I've earned because of my sin is death and separation and not forgiveness. And yet, Christ has died in my place. He took my debt. He didn't deserve it, but he took it upon himself. Do you know that truth? That truth will inform the way you think about what you deserve in this life as well. See, there's one side of greed that says, I want what I don't have, and you're going to give it to me. That's the problem with the brother. And there's another side of greed that says, I want to keep what God has given me to myself. That's the parable. Look at it. So Jesus responds to the man, and he tells the crowd and the disciples, in verse 16, he tells them, a parable, here we go, this true-to-life story that has a punch and a point to the, bro- to the brother, to the guy asking the question. And what happens in the parable? There's a rich man. Jesus never says in this parable there's anything at all wrong with wealth, at all. He never says there's anything wrong with having barns. This guy already had barns before he built new ones. This rich man has basically a bumper crop harvest this year, according to Jesus. And what does he do? Look at it. And he thought to himself, nothing wrong with thinking to yourself, but notice how many times he uses from verse 17 to verse 19, look at it. First person pronouns, I, me, my, look at it. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will, I will, I will tear down my barns. So he already has storehouses. I will build new ones. I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. It's a bad idea. This is just kind of weird. You answer yourself. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So the problem is not wealth. And having, the problem is not even planning. He's already got storage. The problem is this. Greed blinds us. Here's your second thought. Greed blinds us to the needs of others and the reality of our own real needs and limits. If you were in the first century, we might not catch this in this, in this parable. But if you were listening, if you are a part of the crowd and you were listening to this parable that Jesus was telling, and it's talking about a rich man who's had a bumper crop, who's had a great harvest, and he doesn't have enough room in his storehouses... And it's barns. The first thing you're thinking in first century, maybe not today, you may be thinking like this guy, how do I take care of all this? How do I save up? But in the first century, they wouldn't have thought that way. Deuteronomy 24 talks about the bountiful harvest and says, give it away. Give the excess away. There's people in need. There's those that come to your crops and take from the edges of your crops. And so the people of Israel would have been shocked to hear that this guy wanted to tear down his barns, which would have cost him money, and built new ones so he could store this. He's completely forsaking the needs of others, the other people that had need. And not only that, probably even more significant, he doesn't see his own need. He doesn't see his own true need. He thinks his stuff is going to provide all that he needs. And God calls him what? A fool. A fool is not someone who is dumb or unintelligent. That's not what a fool is. A fool is someone. This word here means mindless mindless toward the things of God. Not one time has he thought about anybody but himself, mainly God. And Jesus says of this guy that he's laid up all this treasure for himself and he's not rich toward God. So in effect, he's taken all his stuff and his possessions and he's neglected God. The Bible says in Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And he makes himself the focus. That's what this guy is doing here. That's what Jesus is saying when he's saying he's a fool. His real need was spiritual before God, not his possessions. He's missed it. He's missed his own need. He also doesn't see his own limits. Do you see it there? We don't know how old this guy is. But he does all this work, and here's what he doesn't know. He doesn't know his death date. He's preparing for the future thinking only of himself and he's done all this work and he's got nobody to give it to and what he doesn't know, what God knows is that night. He's going to die. And I don't think the implication of the parable is he's going to die because he cares so much about his possessions. I just think the end of his days, God has numbered his days and he doesn't know his death date. You know, we often talk about our birthday determining if we're young, if we're middle age, if we're older. And the older I get, I say the same thing as my mom says and I make fun of her. She says, well, age is just a number, honey. And that's true if you're thinking about your birth date. But I just want you to think about this for a minute. Do you, you don't know your death date, right? If you did, you might think about how old you are a little differently. How much time you have left. Maybe you're 60 years old in here. I'm going to throw a bone for you older folks. Maybe you're 60 years old. You don't know when you're going to die. Let's say God has purpose that you, your numbered days are 100. And you're like, I don't want to live that long. You got 40 years. And you might be 30 years old in here. And God's going to take you next year. Who's younger? Who's older? How much time do you have? The person who's 60 has more time than This guy neglected to think about his own limits. He's laid up treasure and he's robbed himself of being rich before God. See, greed blinds us to the needs of others, and it also blinds us to the reality of our own needs and our own limits. The Bible says it this way Matthew 6, perhaps you know this text, 6, 19 through 21. It's actually a parallel text. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and neither thieves break in and steal for where your treasure is. That's where you're going to find your heart as well. This summer, I don't know about you parents, but um, trying to find things for your kids to do is a thing. During the summer when they're out of school, And so we've watched a lot more movies, both at night and during the day, just confessing. Youngest is uh, reading through The Hobbit. We've got a rule in our house, you can ask my kids. Wife's rule, glad I didn't grow up this way. You've got to, if there's a book, you've got to read the book before you get to watch the movies. And so Samuel read, over the last month, he's read The Hobbit. And so he got to, we, we sat and we've watched the trilogy over the last week or so. And so remember the Hobbit. Sorry, it's been around a while, so I'm just going to blow this. You remember Thorin, the dwarf king, the dwarf who was courageous, who's a courageous warrior, a man who keeps his word. Everyone respected Thorin. When he walks in the door, everyone looks to him. Remember what happened when they get the mountain back and smog is dead? The dragon is dead and they come back. What do you see Thorin doing? Do you see the change in Thorin? Because the riches of Erebor. And you see him walking these halls filled with treasure. And it changes him. Remember the people of Lake City? He had promised to give them refuge. And they come to him with their city destroyed. Give us refuge. And he says, no. You want to take the treasure. No. Remember when Bilbo Baggins comes to him in the halls and Bilbo says, Thorin, you've taken the mountain. You've taken the mountain. Is the treasure worth more than your honor? And Thorin says this, the treasure in this mountain belongs to us. It is ours, ours alone. And then the voices slow down and he says, on my life, I will not part with one single coin, not one. I gave you two words before. I deserve it. Let me give you two more dangerous words that will make you lonely and joyless and empty and stingy and angry and godless. It's mine. The good gifts, taking the good gifts that God has given you to use but also be generous with you and say, it's mine. It's no one else's. That doesn't just go with possessions, by the way. It may go with people. It may go with your schedule and your control. This is getting convicting, is it not? What material financial good gifts has God blessed you with that he calls you to be generous with as opposed to being like this rich man who's hoarding his own crops. Can I tell you that God is a generous God with you? The Bible says in Romans 8 31 that God did not withhold. He didn't withhold. He didn't withhold his own son but gave him for you. God is a God of generosity that gives his best to you that you can have life real life and he calls us to do the same proverbs 11:24 he says this this proverb one gives freely yet grows all the richer another withholds what should what he should give and he only suffers want The interesting thing about greed and covetousness is that none of us think we're greedy or covetous. It's kind of like pride. None of us think that we are. We're just good planners, right? I'm just a good planner. I'm, I'm planning out the rest of my life for my family and for good things. We're not covetous. We're just good planners. Can I tell you one of the best tests of your heart with generosity starts with your pocketbook? And I'm not the pastor just getting up here and talking about giving to the church, but I'm going to tell you one of the ways that you can test, really test, diagnostically test your heart with the gifts that God has given you. Do you give any of it away, whether it's your church that God calls you to be a part of or other? Do you give it away? Are you generous with what God has given you? We've seen greed's motives. We've seen how greed blinds us. But maybe you say this. Well, if I don't fill my storehouses, how are they going to get filled? Who will fill the storehouses? Look at verse 22 through 34. And I'm not going to go through this whole next section. If you just glance at it, though, look at your Bibles. He gives the warning to his disciples so they've been talking he's talking to the crowd the man speaks up and says tell my brother to give me my inheritance he gives the crowd and the disciples the parable to make these points and then he turns to his disciples look at it He says therefore I tell you and so he's connecting this parable and this scenario And he wants to teach his disciples a lesson. This is amazing. I've never put this together until I studied this text. Because this text about anxiety and fear and treasure and how God takes care of you, there's a parallel text in Matthew chapter 6. But it doesn't have this context to it. We get more context here. And So imagine this. Think about greed and all the things you want. Greed produces something greed produces anxiety there are other forms of anxiety but if you look at this passage he's pointing out to his disciples hey in view of this parable in view of what greed does what you have not being willing to give it to others out of fear and anxiety not having and looking at other people ie the brother who's anxious because what he doesn't have, rather than trusting God with what he does, and the rich man not trusting God for his future, even though he has. Don't be anxious about your life. And then what happens in that text? Don't be anxious about your life. What's God going to do? He's going to provide for your needs. He's a good God. He's a generous God. And he gives examples in this text about the ravens. Do the ravens have storehouses? That's the example he uses. He's pointing back to the parable. The ravens don't have storehouses, but guess what? God takes care of all their needs. And then he goes to the lilies, and he talks about how God clothes the lilies, the beautiful lilies, better than anything Solomon could make. You have what you need. You have food. You have clothing. I will take care of your needs. Oh, you of little faith, trust me. And then you come to verse 32. The second thing that he's teaching his disciples. Fear not. God will give you. So if God's going to give you things, guess what you can do? You can give to others. The treasure that God has for you is protected. Your inheritance is protected. Your storehouses are protected. Guess what? That means you can freely give. Look at it. You can give of your treasure. You can sell. You can provide yourself. You can give freely. This is incredible. Put those things together. Maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I'm anxious and maybe I'm fearful and maybe I'm controlling because I want the uh, things that other people have that I don't think I have, that I want but really I don't need because God takes care of me. He'll provide for me. Trust Him. Maybe the things that you fear are the things that you want to control or because you want to take the things that you have and protect them. Listen, again, I'm going to say it again. There's nothing wrong with thinking about your future, your retirement. The Bible calls some of that wisdom. But if all everything is wrapped up into that, you're going to be anxious. You're going to be fearful. And look down, if you have a Bible in front of you, look down at the last little part of Jesus' teaching to his disciples, learning from the parable, about the treasure, where it says treasure, trever, treasure in the heavens do not fail. The word that we get here for treasure, when you think about treasure, maybe you're thinking of like the treasure of Erebor, and you're thinking about coins and money itself. The word in this passage, this whole passage for treasure is not the actual treasure itself it's storehouses it's the treasure house catch that so when he says at the end of this passage for where your treasure is he's saying for where your treasure house is there will your heart be also where you keep your heart your treasure will be anybody got a safe at home What do you keep in your safe? You keep the things that your heart treasures in your safe. Maybe it's your will or memoirs or coins or papers or photos or digital storage. Whatever it is, you keep your valuables there. And likely your safe, I hope, is fireproof. So it'll go through the problems that will go through the fire. You store it for safekeeping. What your heart values. Catch this, okay? Treasure isn't a matter of if you keep something in the storehouse of your heart. You will keep things in the storehouse of your heart. It's not a matter of if. It is a matter of what you keep there. What is your treasure? What do you treasure in life? See, truly living isn't about filling your self-interest storehouse house, because it leaves your heart empty. I play that game, you play that game, and it leaves us empty. It will not satisfy. I've given you some dangerous words. I deserve. It's mine. The truth is, I don't deserve, but He's given. It's not mine. Whatever you have, you're stewarding what God has given you for His glory. But let me give you some life-giving words, life-giving words that you ought to say to the Lord, perhaps when you are saying, I deserve, or it's mine, to remind yourself, life-giving words, Lord, I trust you, you are my treasure. Lord, I trust you, you are my treasure. I trust you with my soul. I trust you with my life, my finances, my possessions, my family, my marriage, my 401k, my money, my mortgage, my kid's college. Dang, it's coming. My job, my future. I trust you. I trust you. You are my treasure. See, greed, here's your third thought. Greed can never deliver on what it promises us. It can never deliver. It just wrecks shop. But God does. God will care for you. He will take care of your needs. He is your treasure. I can't think of a better way to end a sermon. I often end it with a story that makes a point. But I can't think of a better way to end this sermon as way of, by way of application. Then just taking you to a text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. So I want you to think about this text as we walk out of here today. As for the rich in this present age, listen y'all, you may not be as rich as the person who lives in the different zip code, but you are rich. You are material rich by the world's standards. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainties of riches, see also the parable, but on God. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, by the way. We're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. thus storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future. So that, here's the why that we may take hold of that which is truly life. God wants to give you what is truly life. He's not trying to withhold from you good things. He wants to give you real, fruitful, abundant life. But that doesn't really come from the place that we think it comes from. Here's your takeaway. If you want to truly live hope in God, who is our ultimate treasure he richly provides he richly provides our needs he's not withheld his only son for you your most essential need to be made right with God do you know him he richly provides he doesn't withhold and he calls us to live a life of faith and generosity and here's the beautiful truth okay we're all greedy We all want to hoard. We all covet. Yet even in that greed, he offers grace. He bids us to come to him and confess to him and know him and repent. Because he's a generous God who gives generously to us. Amen? Let me pray.